This is Still Rowing, a podcast where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Letha Kingi is a self-healer committed to overcoming trauma and reclaiming truth and power and bringing hope to those trying to do the same. She's also a life-schooling mom of five amazing little people, one half of a married couple finding meaning and enlightenment in trauma recovery. She's also a doTERRA wellness advocate. Letha is a convert to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and she currently lives with her family in Provo, Utah. So I want to thank our listeners for being here with us, and especially welcome Letha. Thank you, Letha, for taking the time to do this. Oh, thank you for inviting me. And I've actually really been looking forward to this conversation, Letha. Uh, Letha has a really unique background, and I think a really amazing story to tell. So I think we'll all learn a lot from you today. As I already mentioned in your bio, you are a convert to the Church of Jesus Christ. Can you tell me, though, a bit about your upbringing and your beliefs and feelings about God prior to becoming a Latter-day Saint? Absolutely. So I was raised Hindu uh, by some pretty amazing parents. And so I always had a belief in God Uh, We prayed regularly. That was just, you know, part of the fabric of our lives. I think um, most people that I knew growing growing up who were of similar background, you know, my family's from India, no matter what religion you were, it was just kind of woven into the fabric of the culture. You know, it was just part of every day. So I was always very aware of that throughout my life. Um, However, I did not have a belief in or an understanding of a personal God. That was just a very foreign concept to me. And by the time I found the church, I did have that understanding, but I did not have that understanding growing up. And so when I was in college, I really struggled with depression and anxiety. And I was going to a Catholic university and some friends of mine suggested that I attend this retreat, a religious uh, spiritual retreat. And I had tried other things to kind of, you know, improve my mental health and nothing really seemed to be working very well. And so finally I agreed to go. And it was at that retreat that I first really felt and embraced. I know now that it was the spirit, uh, but I understood the truth of a personal God who knew me. Up until that point in my life, my prayers were, you know, rote prayers or, you know, I just kind of vague like feelings of faith and humility, um, but never like a personal conversation with an all-knowing God. Hmm. So can you tell us then how you found the gospel and your experience investigating and joining the church? Absolutely. So I... um, (laughs) So after that experience in college where I really started to understand that um, there was a personal God and I really started to develop a testimony of Christ. And so up until that point in my life, my understanding of Christianity and of Christ uh, was colored by history. You know, let's just 
call it what it is, there has been a lot of history throughout the world in many areas uh, where terrible things have been done in the name of Christ. And Christianity has been used as a vehicle to promote, um, you know, violence and racism and different things. And so I was never expecting to connect to or gain a testimony of Christ as anything more than a teacher, which is what I had grown up thinking of him as, as a great teacher who walked the earth like many others. And so after I had that experience in college, I started to um, study the New Testament. And one thing about the Catholic Church that I really love is that there is an emphasis on service. And so I started to do a lot of service work, things like that. And that service work uh, led me to, when I graduated from college, I wanted to go somewhere else um, and do volunteer work for a while. And so that led me to South Dakota, to Pine Ridge, South Dakota. And when I was in Pine Ridge, South Dakota, it's it's a reservation. And so similar to many other places in the world, like India, where my family is from, there have been lots of missionaries from different churches who have gone there to convert people. And so there were many different churches. And so I was teaching at a Catholic high school. And while I had a lot of respect for certain tenets of the faith, I knew it wasn't for me. And so I investigated actually a lot of different churches. I went to a Seventh-day Adventist church, a Mennonite church, uh, you know, an evangelical born-again church. And I had similar experiences at all of them, which is I would meet wonderful people and I would enjoy myself for a short time. I'd go to a service and we would sing a song or a hymn and there'd be a prayer and I would feel good. And what I know now to be the spirit, I would feel the spirit. But then the preacher would start talking and I'd be like, oh gosh, I got to go. Because I just couldn't embrace the doctrines that they were talking about. And one of my biggest uh, frustrations was the idea that um, if you had not accepted Christ, you would you would burn in hell. You were not saved. And I just, there were certain things from my upbringing that I knew to be true. So even though I had a testimony of Christ, there were certain truths that I was not going to give up. And one of those truths was that I knew that most people did not go to hell. Um, another thing that I really believed in was karma, that our actions and the way we treat others and the way that we, um, are towards other people is, is the most important thing. And so when I went to these churches, I would feel this like connection to the savior. But when, like I said, when the preacher started preaching, I was like, okay, I, this, I, this is not for me. And I gave up. I just decided that I was going to have my private communication with the Savior. I was going to pray, you know, in private, do service work in my life, and not have a community, not have a community of believers, and not have anybody really that I could uh, really pour out my heart and my faith to. And so I was in that stage of my life when I met this really zealous return missionary. I didn't know much about his church. I just had a vague idea of what it meant to be a Mormon, but 
I honestly just dismissed that and thought this is just like all these other churches. I had zero interest in uh, understanding anything about his beliefs. But we started to date. We really liked each other. And he would spend hours and hours listening to me talk about my faith and my beliefs uh, without any interruption, without any anything. So when we had been dating for several weeks, I turned to him and I said, you know, we have to break up. And I was really intense and emotional about this. Uh, he said to me, well, why? What would you mean? And I said, well, I really like you and you really like me and we're falling for each other really fast. And the truth is, I don't want to be in a relationship and end up getting serious and we end up getting married and having kids. I don't want to raise my children with somebody who believes that babies carry original sin or that my family is burning in hell or that you elect a pope or, you know, and I just started listing all of the beliefs that I struggled with. Um, or that, you know, all I have to do is say that I'm saved, but what I do in this life doesn't matter. And, you know, and he, so I was really emotional because I really like this guy. And he had this giant grin on his face, like <sighs> this giant foolish grin. <laughs> and he, you know, I don't really remember much of the conversation afterwards because he was trying to tell me, um, no, 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 our church isn't like that. You know, he was so happy because every single thing I listed was answered, right, in the gospel. But I was not listening to him because I had been fooled before, right? I had talked to people and said, so do you guys believe that my family's gonna burn in hell, you know, if they're not, if they don't ever become Christian? And they're like, no, 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 we don't believe that. And then after a service or two, they would pull me aside and say, well, actually, and so I thought he was doing that. So I had zero interest. But he said, please come to church with me. And the only reason I went to church with him is because he had shown me that love and respect of just listening to my beliefs. He had spent hours just asking me what I believed and what I thought. And so I thought out of respect, since he did that for me, I'll go to church. And when I went to church that Sunday, we had a prayer, you know, we, had, we sang a hymn and we had a prayer and I felt again, what I know now to be the spirit, I felt great. And when the quote unquote preacher started talking, that feeling didn't go away for the first time. And I thought, hmm. And so at that point, I started meeting with the missionaries. You know, he invited me to meet with the missionaries. And I remember telling him, okay, I'll meet with these missionaries. But if I find out that this isn't the church for me, I'm still breaking up with you. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, okay, okay. And at that point, I, 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 you know, I started reading the Book of Mormon. I went through nine sets of missionaries. Back then when you Googled, you know, church, you know, LDS church, the first several pages of results were all anti. So I read a lot of stuff. Um, and so I would just drill these missionaries and they just would look at me. They were these, most of them were like, you know, 19 year old white boys from Utah, you know, and they didn't know how to answer my questions. And um, I actually, the mission president gave special permission to the assistants to teach me. 
And so during all of this time, I was also going to Institute. I was, I'm a researcher. So I was reading everything I could get my hands on, learning everything I could get my hands on. And during this time, um, I had some really amazing experiences. Like I went to general conference as a non-member and I had some, it was pretty amazing because I was walking in to general conference, you know, as an investigator and I was walking through, you know, throngs of protesters and stuff and my, you know, now husband, but then boyfriend turned to me and he said, you know, what do you think about this? And I said, well, this is the same thing we used to go through when we went to the Hindu temple. So I used to go to the temple with my families and I feel like these were the same people who would hand us pamphlets telling us that we we're worshiping Satan. And I said, so this doesn't phase me. In fact, you know, I, it made me more intrigued because I thought, why are they spending so much time fighting another faith? instead of kind of focusing on on what they actually believed. And so I had several experiences that would be way too much for a podcast. Uh, but long story short, I knew the church was true. I got disowned by my father. As a result, he wouldn't accept it that I um, had knew for myself and that I was truly converted. I ended up losing my job. So I was homeless for a little while and kind of living out of my car. I drove from South Dakota to New York to tell my parents face to face that I was going to be baptized. My father wouldn't even acknowledge me and then proceeded to not acknowledge me for 14 years. My whole family was upset. My friends were upset. They thought I was, I had lost my marbles. Um, pretty much everyone in my life thought it was insane that I was going to be baptized. And to be honest with you, if someone had told me a year earlier, in one year's time, you are going to be getting baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I would have died laughing. But I knew what I knew. I knew what was true. And so I had a lot of faith-promoting experiences. I had a lot of really difficult experiences. And I had a very... Um, personal understanding of the savior saying that he came not to bring peace, but the sword to mm -hmm. set family at variance with each other. And so I, I had that literal experience, but I was baptized and it was the best decision I ever made. And yeah. And then here we are. Here we are. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Well, there's so much there. I was just writing a few notes down, but I wanted to like backtrack and just go back to your courtship with your now husband. And I love that he took that time to listen to you. And you, as you had already expressed, it was because of the respect that he showed for your concerns and your beliefs and your questions that you were willing to mirror that for him. And I think so often as members of the church, we're in such a hurry. We're in such a hurry to just move people along. But I think that's a really great example that your husband set of hearing people and, and just seeing where they're at, what they're concerned about. And then when, when the time is right, then we can invite them to come to church. We can give them a Book of Mormon. And that's not to say that we can't do those things sooner, but I think we need to be pay, more patient than we are because people, as you had already said, you needed to see that he respected your beliefs before you were even willing to consider 
going to another church because of all the negative experiences you'd had. So I love that. I think that's that's a powerful lesson that we all need to learn. But what do you think gave you the courage to move forward knowing that there was going to be so much challenge and perceived loss? You know, one of the things that I admire most about Hinduism is it is primarily about, I think for me anyway, growing up, the focus that I remember is the pursuit of truth, wherever you might find it. That gave me a lifelong conviction to pursue truth, which is why I did what I did. In many ways, I was prepared in everything, I would even say. Heavenly Father prepared me to find the gospel. And so I had a lot of different childhood experiences, you know, even being a first generation child of immigrants, feeling like I never quite was American enough and I wasn't quite Indian enough, you know, just being from a different background, having the experiences that I did, you know, it really resonated with me when the first time I heard that uh, the people of the church uh, are are often described as a peculiar people. I have been peculiar my whole life. And so I feel like that really prepared me. Yes, it was a big deal. And it was a lot of sacrifices. I'm not minimizing that. But I knew what it was like to be the odd one out. And another thing, um, I just I think it was maybe a gift that I was given to just have this conviction. I'm still like that today. Um, I think that it's one of my gifts to have a conviction about what is right and what is true and to pursue that regardless of the consequences or to talk about it or to speak up about it regardless of the consequences. You recognize that your background in Hinduism was a blessing that helped prepare you to receive the restored gospel. And I think that's often a question for members of the church, like where do all these other religions come into play? in God's great plan. And I think, as I'm sure you very much agree with, that that there are pieces of truth scattered throughout every religion and um, tradition. God understands that all of these varied religions can draw his children to him, but the path looks a little different for some people. So I think it's just good for us as members of the church to be respectful of the truth that others carry and whether or not they appreciate our truth, we can show respect and love for our brothers and sisters of all faiths. So you expressed to me prior to our interview that being a woman of color in general and in the church has at times posed challenges in your life. And as we've seen recently, the issue of race has has flared up and really reared its ugly head. Can you share some of your experience as a woman of color in the church and perhaps what you'd like to see as a for us as a membership moving forward when it comes to race issues. So, yes, this has been an issue that has um, been a real struggle for me throughout my life and throughout my membership in the church. But one thing I will say, um, and I know that for for you and for many people in the church, And for many people throughout the world, it feels that way. It feels as though it's reared its ugly head. 
but for people of color, for Black, Indigenous, and people of color, it has always been there. And so that's the first thing I'll say is I know that we are kind of experiencing this shift in awareness. And um, I think that's one of the, the hardest things has been that as a woman of color in the church, I have had numerous experiences with racism that have been dismissed, that have been uh, pushed away. But we are in this time where I think that there are people who at one point would have dismissed those experiences who perhaps are more receptive to hearing about them now. I had some really difficult experiences. You know, it started even before I joined the church. When I was investigating the church and I felt the spirit, I felt pulled, called to the church, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I felt the spirit when I read the Book of Mormon, but I had some really difficult moments. Uh, the priesthood ban in particular was a really, really hard thing for me. Uh, and when I questioned it, the missionaries that I spoke to didn't really have any answers for me. Um, some of them were even dismissive. Many of them were dismissive uh, about why that could be so difficult and so heart-wrenching for me. And so I remember praying about it. And I remember receiving my answers from my Heavenly Father. And the answer for me, uh, it was really validating when the Race and the Priesthood essay came out a couple of years ago, because many of the answers that I received from Heavenly Father were confirmed in that essay. But I had to wait over 15 years to hear those answers, to hear that there was no divine meaning and that the theories that had been put forth were simply wrong. And so that was really validating for me. But I had to um, experience over and over and over in the church uh, racism. And we're calling it racism but I actually think that rather than calling it racism, I think a more accurate term is white supremacy, because the concept isn't just merely one race against another. The concept is really about one race being superior to another. And many of those false concepts have been um, embraced by people in the church. You know, there are many people with dark skin like myself who have been told that we were less valiant in the pre-existence or not to worry because we will turn white and delightsome in the afterlife. Those things are so harmful. They're spiritually violent. And so, yes, it does. It does become, you know, love the name of your podcast still rowing. I totally understand why people have difficulty still rowing when our church has been tainted with white supremacy too, like every other institution that we have in our country. And so it has been something that is really um, has been difficult for me for a long, long time. But I also want to say that I'm really, really hopeful. I'm so hopeful, number one, because I know how my heavenly parents see me. And I know that my heavenly parents gave me 
this beautiful dark brown skin that I have. And I know that it is a part of my identity. It is a part of who I am. And it was not given to me accidentally. And it certainly wasn't given to me because I was less valiant in the pre-existence. And there's a part of the Book of Mormon that really um, speaks to me about what is happening right now in the world. And, you know, you asked me the question, what would I like to see going forward? And, and I'd like to share this part of the Book of Mormon to kind of explain that. This is in Helam in 9. And so this is a pretty chaotic time, right, in, in the Book of Mormon history. The chief judge is, has been murdered, right? Uh, Nephi is the prophet, and he, uh, by the Holy Ghost, you know, discerns who, who murdered the chief judge. There's intrigue and murder and, you know, all these things going on. And he is speaking to the, the multitudes, I think, or he's speaking to um, the people. And yeah, he is speaking to the multitude and he's being questioned. And this is what he said unto them. This is a Helaman 9 verse 21. But Nephi said unto them, O ye fools, ye uncircumcised of heart, ye blind and ye stiff-necked people, do ye know how long the Lord your God will suffer you, that ye shall go on in this, your way of sin? And that phrase, you know, ye uncircumcised of heart, I think it applies to all of us and it applies to everybody. When Nephi was speaking that, I'm sure that it struck differently for the ones who were, who were being very wicked. But it applied to everyone then and it applies to us now. Because being uncircumcised of heart, what does that mean? Circumcision was a sacrifice. It was a way to show God love and commitment. And so when we are uncircumcised of heart, we are unwilling to sacrifice. And the reason why that scripture means so much to me right now is because we are in a time in the world and in the church where people can decide if they are going to sacrifice, if they are going to give up to the Lord their privilege, their power, if they are willing to examine the ways in which white supremacy has infiltrated their hearts. And that means literally everyone. I'm not just talking about white people. I'm talking about everyone because all of us have grown up in this system. All of us, you know, I once heard, um, and I wish I could remember who said this, but I heard racism or white supremacy described as smog. When you live in LA, there's smog everywhere. You don't even realize you're breathing it after a while. It's just part of the air you breathe. And that is how we have lived with race in the church, in the world, but let's talk particularly about the church. Those of us who are converts, those of us who have grown up in the church, we love the gospel, many of us. We love our Savior, but we have been breathing in the smog. And so are we willing right now, in these last days, are we willing to circumcise our hearts? Are we willing to be humble and to really ask the Lord and ask the ask for the spirit to enter into our hearts and help us to sacrifice the privilege and the power. And for those of us who are black, indigenous, and people of color, we need to root out anti-blackness too. We need to root out those false ideas that we're not good enough 
And so I really strongly feel, you know, so hopeful because we are preparing to meet Christ. We are laboring in the vineyard in these last days. And I personally feel that my mission and my call is to help us as a people to root this ugliness out of the vineyard because it's everywhere. Ask any of your friends who are people of color in the church and ask what their experiences have been. I believe in the literal gathering of Israel. I believe in the Savior's second coming. But if we as a people are to be truly prepared for him to come, then we need to consider the labor. We need to consider how we are gathering people. Because as long as this legacy of white supremacy stains the church, and it does, it is a major stain on the church. It is a major stain in the way it is perpetuated today. The fact that there is a hashtag called Desnat, which is made up of people who believe in a white supremacist church, who seek out members of color and harass them, you know, it's, and, 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 and here's the thing though, it might be easy for us to look at something like that and say, oh, I'm not like that. I'm not racist. I'm, I, I don't believe that. But we are all a part of the system. So every single one of us has to look at our hearts. You know, over and over in the scriptures, we, we receive reference to our hearts over and over and over. And that's one of the reasons why this scripture stuck out to me so much. Ye uncircumcised of heart, what are we willing to sacrifice? And I would, I would love for my white brothers and sisters in the church to ask themselves, am I willing to circumcise my heart? Am I willing to look at the ways in which I have been complicit in this system? Am I willing to give up some of my power and my privilege so that I can uplift my black, indigenous, and brothers and sisters of color? Because that is really what it will take. The truth is there are a lot of BIPOC people who are doing work but a lot of us are tired. We are exhausted because racism, white supremacy, it is exhausting. So don't be surprised when people are leaving the church because they can no longer tolerate the treatment that they've been receiving. But this is a time where things can truly, truly change. This is a time where we can look at how we teach our children. We can look at anti-racist teaching. So I saw a comment on Facebook the other day that I think may reflect what a lot of members of the church feel, and I want to explain why I don't agree with it. So the comment was that we don't need anti-racist training. There was a group of individuals um, who, I'm not sure the details, but I know that they approached the church. I think they were uh, marching at church headquarters requesting anti-racist training be done which I 100% agree with. But this comment on this article said, we don't need anti-racist teaching or training. We have the scriptures. We have the scriptures and we have the manuals and all we have to do is love and seek the Holy Ghost and we will know what to do. And I totally disagree. And here is why I totally disagree with that. Let's compare it to domestic violence. For a long time in the church, 
bishops, stake presidents, our, our lay clergy would have domestic violence victims come to them. Sometimes those victims got help and sometimes they were re-victimized because many of our lay clergy did not know what to do. They were not trained. So the church has made this shift towards training lay clergy in how to hand over the situation to professionals, to people who are knowledgeable in the subject of domestic violence to prevent people from being re-victimized. I compare that to anti-racism teaching and training because, you know, Elder Holland, he talked about when we are depressed, when we have mental health issues, we, you know, seek out the help of professionals. And I see racism and white supremacy as a disease. We seek out the help of professionals. There are brilliant black and brown minds that have laid out so much for us of how we can become anti-racist, how we can root this ugly white supremacy out of our lives. And so I strongly feel that if you are in that vein of we don't need anti-racist teaching and training, we only need the Holy Ghost, I love the Holy Ghost. I seek to be inspired by the Holy Ghost every single day in all that I do, especially in my parenting. But I seek out good information because as President Nelson said, good information leads to good inspiration. So the thing that I would have us do as a church, as individuals, as families, and especially as parents, is to actively seek to become anti-racist. It's 2020. Look at the resources. There are so many. Listen to Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Listen to what they're saying. Study what they have to say and apply it in your lives. That is the way forward. That is much of the labor that needs to be done in the vineyard now. I think for many people, especially those of us who have been naive and ignorant to a lot of the realities of racism within the church, that's a, those are hard truths. And so I would put out to the listeners of this episode to examine your heart. And if, if at any point you felt defensive, uh, through what Letha was expressing, I would invite you to to get on your knees and and ask Heavenly Father to perhaps open your mind to some blind spots that you might have concerning our relationship with people of color and how we view people of color in the church. I know that I am not racist with a like a capital R, but I have recognized as I've been trying to listen and educate myself these last couple of weeks that I need to make some changes. Now I realized I haven't done the work to properly educate myself as Letha has explained about the realities of cultural and systemic racism in this nation, in the world and in the church. And it also goes without saying that this is also true for many people who feel marginalized and unheard that I need to be doing more to learn about the, the difficulty surrounding the lives of those people who feel marginalized in the church. I have work to do, and I've committed to do better. Uh, and President Nelson has told us straight up, we need to repent. <laughs> and we are, we are dealing with collective sin, both 
outside and inside of the church. So I know that we can do better. And like Letha, I have hope. And if we are to become a Zion people, as you expressed so beautifully, Letha, we, we have to do better. So thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. You're so welcome. Can I share one more thought? Please. One sentiment that I've seen a lot, um, which I think has good intentions. I see a lot of all we need is love. All we need is unity. Christ loved everyone. And and those things are true in a, in a simplistic way. But when we use them as the rebuttal for, for white supremacy and for racism, we're actually skipping the actual steps of repentance. So we cannot jump to unity and to charity if we aren't, as you said, doing the work. If we aren't comforting those who stand in need of comfort and mourning with those that mourn. I think Christ was such a perfect example he knew all things, and yet he mourned with people. He sat with them. He held space for them. So as you um, described, if you heard my words and you felt defensive, asking yourself to hold space for those uncomfortable feelings and know that in really unraveling that, in really seeking to apply the atonement of Christ, that we can come to that love and unity, but we cannot skip steps. It doesn't work that way. That's such a great point. And to piggyback off of what you just said, someone had wisely mentioned, as as I had been seeing a lot of people say, you know, all lives matter and and trying to gloss over the reality of, of the pain that a specific group of people has felt. They said that the Savior left the 99 to find the one. And we can take the time to metaphorically leave the 99 to give some time, and as you said, emotional space to educate ourselves and to feel the pain of people of color, what they've experienced. So we can help make reparations and move forward better uh, more unified as a people. But like you said, we can't skip that step of feeling the pain, which is hard because we are tired. <laughs> we are tired. And sometimes we just, we want to close our eyes and turn away. But we just can't do it if we're going to move forward in a positive way. Well, if, after this kind of challenging, but again, hard truth <laughs> that you've been sharing from your personal experience, Letha, on the flip side, we see, again, life is messy and people are imperfect and we will continue to struggle with things like racism. We hope to get better. But what, as you have been a member of the church, what do you feel like are some of the clearest, most pronounced blessings that you've experienced? It's almost, it's so difficult to even um, say because my entire life is so radically different as a result of my choice to be baptized. So I think one of the biggest blessings is my family is raising my children in the gospel. The day I was baptized, that's what I thought about more than anything. I wasn't even married. And yet somehow the day I was baptized, all I could think about was my future children. And I had mm -hmm. no idea I would have five kids, you know, 
Um, but I could just feel and imagine the importance of what I was doing. And so I think that's one of the biggest blessings is being able to raise my children in the gospel. One is I know who I am. And for the last 17 years as a member of the church, that knowledge has just been driven deeper into my soul and into my mind. I know who I am. I am the dark-skinned daughter of my heavenly parents. I am a laborer in the vineyard. And I have been called to do some specific work. And the blessing of knowing who I am and why I am here has carried me through so many trials, through so many difficulties. I know why I'm here. And, you know, part of why I'm here and part of the blessing of being in the church is the particular labor that I have felt called to. And it is the passion in my heart. And so when I first joined this church 17 years ago, and I wanted to talk about some of these issues that we just spoke about, when I said something like, well, Brigham Young was a prophet and he was also a racist, people would, you know, (laughs) kind of have this reaction. And I have felt the blessing of working through those trials and hardships, because in those moments when I felt uh, shut down or I had nobody to talk to about this, I had no one to turn to, but my savior. And he helped me understand who I am and why I am here. And he helped me see how his people, including myself, needed to be prepared. And so I think more than any other blessing that I can name, it is that knowing who I am and why I am here and knowing without a shadow of a doubt regardless of all the racist experiences that I have had in the church, I know that my heavenly parents gave me this mind, this body, these gifts to fulfill my mission. None of it was accidental. And so having the spirit in my life, having the gift of the Holy Ghost, having the opportunity and the ability to seek personal revelation. There's a quote from Sister Beck, Sister Julie B. Beck, that says, the most important skill that we can attain in this life, and I I apologize if I'm misquoting it, but this part is correct, is the ability to qualify for, seek, and act upon personal revelation. And I really, truly do believe that. And I love how much President Nelson has emphasized that in recent years since he became the prophet, because That is one of the biggest blessings of the church that I can receive personal revelation because that personal revelation kept me in the church. Even when I read racist quotes from prophets, it kept me in the church when people said ignorant things to me. And even more importantly than it kept me in the church, it kept me anchored to Christ because he is why I'm here. He is perfect. The church isn't. The policies aren't. As Elder Holland said, Christ has only ever had imperfect people to work with. So 
you know, there are so many more, but I think for me right now, especially in these recent weeks with all this tumult and chaos and, and people struggling to hold space, that truth has been driven home to me over and over again. I know who I am and I know why I'm here. I know that I am here in part to fill the prophecy that says that the last shall be first. I think also what you share brings up the very important piece of horizontal versus vertical faith. And what I mean by that, horizontal faith looks like we, we're looking at other people across the pew or even the people sitting up behind uh, the podium and basing our faith and our testimony off of those individuals instead of vertical faith, which is what you described when you were struggling, investigating the church with the priesthood ban, you had to go to God and receive your own revelation and understanding, which was that you were loved, you were seen, and that your brothers and sisters of color were also loved and seen by your heavenly parents. Um, and, and keeping that connection, that, that vertical connection very strong, because people will disappoint us in the church. So maybe to switch directions, for me, I feel like one of the greatest blessings of having a testimony of the restored gospel is having more clarity and understanding of Jesus Christ's atonement, the, the grace from that, and the suckering, enabling power that's available to us through that. Can you share an experience where you feel your testimony of Christ's atonement enabled you to do something really hard? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many examples, but I think the hardest thing that I've ever experienced in my life was our my near divorce with my husband, was our broken marriage. Um, we went through a lot. We've had a long journey of getting to this point. And it was one of the most difficult things for me to belong to the church of eternal marriage, right? To go to church and to hear, um, you know, our doctrine about eternal marriage and eternal families and the importance of marriage and all of these different things. And to sit in the pews and have this false idea that I was the only one going through it, that we had the only broken marriage, that everyone else was sealed and happy and, you know, um, doing amazing things and doing great. And, you know, we had a really, we were both on a healing journey. I'm happy to say that we are both totally committed to our own healing and healing our marriage and we're doing better now than we probably ever have, but it was a very painful journey getting here. And I had to rely on the savior, um, more than ever before. I had to rely on my faith more than I ever had before. And it was the atonement of Christ that liberated me. I think would be the best word to describe, you know, I, my husband and I, you know, we both came into our marriage with childhood trauma and experiences and we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know, um, 
what it meant to heal emotionally or even that we needed to heal emotionally. We just kind of got married and started going. And as marriage does, it breaks everything open and exposes all your weaknesses and your flaws. And so we were sitting in this marriage with all our weaknesses and flaws exposed and not really uh, knowing what to do or how to handle it. And um, there was a part of me as a convert that was kind of waiting for my husband, the return missionary, to step up and to lead us in, you know, gospel living. And he had undiagnosed depression and anxiety that really flared when he became, you know, on his own, the reality of marriage and bills and then children and all of those things. And so I had to really deepen my relationship with the Savior. I would say that over these last few years, my understanding of the atonement as not only, you know, I had an understanding of the atonement as this is how I'm able to repent and to do better, right? I understood that with missionaries taught it to me. I understood that concept. I was very eager to be baptized. I remember feeling so fresh and clean when I came out of the water you know, I, I understood that aspect, but over the last several years, I now understand, I think the best way for me to, there's two things that come to my mind that the best way for me to explain it. The first is, I don't remember who said this, um, but I remember reading a talk and they it talked about how the savior understood everything we were feeling, everything we've ever experienced, including childbirth. And that really struck me um, that the Savior understood what it was like for me personally when I brought children into this world. You know, my labors are, are intense. You know, I have back labor and, you know, all these different things. And so that just really touched me several years ago. And I thought, wow, he really knows how I feel. So then I started to really understand that he knew how I feel, felt when I was on my knees begging for like, just end my life because this marriage and this life and this family, it's too painful. You know, he understood how I felt when I was devastated and heartbroken over my husband's depression and anger and all these other things. You know, he understood how I felt um, when we were on the verge of divorce. And so that, uh, additional and deeper understanding of the atonement has really, it's what carried us, carried our family through. Um, the atonement even in a way protected my children from some of the worst of it. My children have experienced that trauma, of course. Um, but there were ways in which they were, um, held and protected because of the atonement of Christ. And the other thing that I have really come to realize is this, uh, Elder Bruce C. Hafen, I love every talk he's ever given, but he gave this talk. I can't remember the title of it, but he talks about the atonement um, and he talks about two sides of the coin, the suffering and the suckering. And he says it more eloquently than I'm about to, but basically this idea that everything we suffer, the flip side of the coin, like Christ, is that he can sucker us. So because he suffered all these things, he knows how to comfort us. He knows how to be with us. 
he knows how to hold space for us. And so fast forward to this moment in my life and this time in my life, I realized more than anything that everything my husband and I struggled and suffered through as, you know, an LDS couple, you know, part of the church of eternal marriage, you know, we have these five beautiful kids, um, you know, everything that we struggled is so that we can succor others so that we can bring hope to others. Cause let me tell you, when we were in the worst of it, I wanted so badly to see an example of a couple, any couple, but especially a couple of our faith that struggled and suffered the way we did and still somehow made it. And I couldn't find any. I couldn't find anybody who was, I'm not saying it didn't exist, but I couldn't find anybody who was open and honest about marital trauma and those struggles and made it through. I found people who were open and honest, but they had gotten divorced and it wasn't both sides, right? It was, it was, um, you know, the person's perspective. And so I can feel that in such a real way now. And that is why my husband and I are fairly open and vulnerable about our healing journeys and our struggles in our marriage because we both feel it is so important to offer hope whether or not you stay together whether or not you you heal your marriage to have hope that things can get better because they absolutely can that is my how i really came to understand that the atonement covers all of our pain, all of our suffering. We all feel like we're screwing up our kids, right? Yes. <laughs> um, but one of the greatest gifts that we can give our children is when we have suffered and struggled so much that we can come out on the other side and say, it was Christ that brought me through and he will bring you through too, if you will have faith in him. Well, I love to hear stories of healing, especially in people's marriages. So if, if our listeners would like to hear more about your, your journey and healing in your marriage, where could they find you? So you can find me over at um, my website, www.essentiallyawake.com. That's also my handle on Instagram and on Facebook. So on Instagram, it's at Essentially Awake. And on Facebook, it's also Essentially Awake. Well, Lefa... Honestly, I think I could probably talk to you for another hour. You have so much wisdom to share and, and, and so many wonderful things that I know that we could learn from. But I'll just ask you this last question. Why are you choosing faith in the restored church of Jesus Christ? I can't not. I have had so many powerful experiences that I cannot deny. And I know what I know. And it was Elder Uchtdorf, I think, who said, you know, doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. Or maybe it was Elder Holland. I don't know. One of my two favorites. Um, but I have doubts. I struggle with things in the church. Some of the race things that we talked about. I struggle with our policies around the LGBTQ community. I struggle. I have doubts. But I belong here. I have a mission on this earth. And I'm so sure of what that is. I have so much clarity around that, I think, because of my experiences. I feel prompted to say this, so maybe there's somebody listening who needs to hear this, but I joined this church 
And I spoke up in Relief Society in Sunday school once or twice. And then I stopped talking for almost a decade. I didn't contribute my comments. I didn't share my thoughts. And there are a lot of reasons around that that have to do with my, you know, personal wounding and healing journeys. But but a big part of it was I just felt like I was too off. I was too different culturally and in every other way. But Heavenly Father has shown me, my Heavenly Parents have shown me that it is part of my unique mission on this earth to speak up. Uh, to share my perspective and to share my thoughts and to declare that you belong. You have doubts, you question things, you still belong here. And I choose faith because I can't unknow what I do know. I know that I am a daughter of heavenly parents. I know who Christ is, that he is who he said he is. I know that building his kingdom is why I'm on earth. I know that everything I've experienced in my life, the hard things, the painful things, the joyous things, the great things, all of it, it has prepared me to help build the kingdom. I love the name of your podcast. I think that's a, a, an amazing you know, metaphor for what we are doing here. I know what I know. And so it's okay when things come up that I don't know. It's okay when I question or I wonder or my feathers are ruffled or <laughs> I um, don't feel great about something I hear over the pulpit. Like all of that is okay because I know what I do know. And nobody can take that away from me. And so as imperfect as people are, we are his laborers in the vineyard. So I can give people grace when they screw up or they mess up or even make questionable policies, right? Because I know whose I am and I know why I'm here. Thank you, Latha. And I'm glad that you're, you're speaking up. We need your voice as we need all voices. So thank you so much for your faith, for your, your testimony, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Sure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Still Rowing Podcast. The views expressed here are not necessarily the views of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, nor is this podcast affiliated with the church. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to receive updates on future episodes. You can submit comments or questions at stillrowing.com. We would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.